before you guys get to picking up your kids and going home and everything, I have a confession to make to all of you. Um, and it is that I am one of those judgmental Christians you hear a lot about. Um, you know the type. You know what I'm talking about, judgmental Christians? Like, you've heard that stereotype, right, that all Christians are a little bit judgmental? Well, I am definitely one of them. Um, so I worked, before becoming the kids pastor, I worked for years serving in the uh, youth ministry. So I, on social media, I follow like all of our teenagers and they all follow me. So around this time of year, every single year, my feed, my social media feed gets flooded with prom pictures because it's prom time right now. In fact, I think Burleson just had theirs this past weekend and it gets flooded with prom photos. And I've made it a game to judge which couples are the most fashionable. And this is a whole thing. I know it's a little bit girly, but you know, I got to do something with all these pictures that are coming into my feed all the time. So I've kind of made it into a game. And bizarrely, I found that it's not the dress that makes or breaks it. And it's not if the guy Sue is, uh, compliments the girl's dress. And it's not even the hair. What makes or breaks it to me, which I think is hilarious, and you're never going to not be able to notice this whenever you look at prom photos now, are the eyebrows. Girls, for some reason, do strange things to their eyebrows when prom season comes around. They all go and they get it all done up, and, uh, you know, it's a whole thing. And since there's such a make or break, I've actually created my own rubric for how I judge these eyebrows. I call it the French fry rubric. So uh, I look at their eyebrows and I decide what kind of french fries they are. Uh, for example, uh, some girls, they'll get their eyebrows real skinny. Like, you know, it's like they drew it on, like it's a cartoon. And uh, that's what I call the In-N-Out Burger french fries. If you've ever gone In-N-Out Burger, they have pathetic french fries. They're like super thin and skinny and they're crunchy when you eat them. They're terrible. Um, they're my least favorite. Um, and then you got girls where like they draw on these huge eyebrows and like half their forehead is eyebrow now. They're real thick. I call those the potato wedges. Those are the potato wedge french fry eyebrows. Um, and then you got the waffle fry eyebrows. If your eyebrows are waffle fries, I don't know what to tell you. They're a mess. You got to get them taken care of. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but you really want them to be somewhere kind of in between. You kind of want some McDonald's eyebrows. You know, I don't know if you've ever had McDonald's french fries. They're the greatest thing. They, I don't know what they sprinkle on them, but they're addicting. You know, I'll get a large french fry and I can have another large french fry. I wish they would bring back super size. It would be amazing. I need that. Um, and, it, you know, if you got five guys french fry eyebrows, uh, then they're greasy and they're floppy and no one wants that. That's no good. Um, but I pay attention to some pretty weird things when I look at prom photos. Uh, but I can tell you that for those teenage guys who are going out with those girls to prom, that is not what they're paying attention to. The only thing they care about is whether their date is hot or not. That's about it. That's all these guys are worrying about. And no one wants to be with someone who's not, obviously. They all want to be with someone who's hot. So we, uh, you know, you, and if you end up kind of going somewhere in the middle, you know, somewhere like where it's kind of lukewarm, where it's just somewhere in the bland middle, we call that settling, right? 
we kind of say, okay, they're not quite attractive, but, you know, that's what I can get, so I'm going to settle for this. And no one ever wants to feel as if they've settled in a relationship. I don't know. Do you? Like, I don't think anyone wants to feel that way. Whether it's the teenager and their prom date, or it's the 45-year-old with three kids who now looks at their spouse and goes, or their spouse and goes I really wish I had put myself out there a little more when I was younger. <laughs> you know, you never want that to happen. We all want to feel as if we got the best that we could get. We even want them to be out of our league, right? We want them to be better than what we could actually realistically do. I remember there was a teenager several years ago and he came and he told me that the reason he was going out with his girlfriend is because he thought she was a little ugly and that was gonna help him not to lust. So that was his whole reason to go out with this girl. I felt really terrible for the girl. I mean, I guess good on him because he doesn't want to fall in his sand. But I, his intentions were, I guess, good. But I don't really know. I felt terrible. Um, but suffice it to say, they did not make it. They did not last because he felt like he was settling. Unfortunately, we don't bring that same attitude to our relationship with the Lord. We're okay with settling for where our relationship kind of currently is with him. And, it, you know, we kind of come into it and we kind of go, eh, it'll do. I'm comfortable with where I am in my relationship with the Lord. Eh, nothing's really happened in years, you know. I don't really have that same spark that I used to have, but eh, it's okay. And I'm good with that. And what's even worse is that we expect the Lord to also settle for us. We come into it, and I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible describes the church as his bride. We are the bride of Christ. Now, some of you guys, I know you don't like the sound of that. It's like, I'm not the bride of Christ. I'm not the bride. You don't really like that idea. Well, sorry, you're the bride. Um, but the church is supposed to be the pure, stainless, holy bride of Christ. But instead, we expect Jesus to settle for just an okay bride. We expect it to just be all right, just enough to get by. And we end up in a situation where it's a bride that is sometimes too busy for fellowship, a bride that doesn't find joy in serving him, a bride that is not fully committed to him. Jesus, he's not, come, he's not settling for that bride. That's not what he's going for. And he's not going for the bride that's not. Jesus wants a bride that's hot. That is the weirdest statement you've probably heard in church in a while. But, uh, you know, that not literally, you get what I'm saying. He's not settling for a lukewarm church. So, why do we expect Jesus to settle for his bride, the church? Why is it that there are times that we just find excuses not to be here? And how come we get comfortable with just a baseline Christian experience? And what does that say about us, the church? And what does the Lord think about that? Well, we actually know exactly what he thinks about that. He talks about it. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, we're going to primarily be in Revelation 3 tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it up to Revelation 3. You'll be able to follow along in a moment here. But I want to give you a little bit of background first on what we're reading. So the author here of what we're reading is the Apostle John. And John, at this point in his life, has been exiled to the island of Patmos for his faith. 
And the year is about A.D. 95 is what theologians believe. And this is long, long, long after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus is here is giving John this message to write to these seven churches. And this letter uh, to these seven churches, it contains encouragement. It contains rebuke. He's saying, congrats, you're doing great, but you're also not doing so great in this area. You've got to take care of this. And these seven churches, if I could describe them to you, uh, they are the loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church, the faithful church, and the lukewarm church. And tonight, we're going to focus on that last church, the lukewarm church. And that is the church in a city called Laodicea. So I'm actually going to grab my Bible, and we're going to do a little bit of reading, so just hang in there. Um, but you'll be glad that we did. It'll help kind of get the bigger picture when we break it down. So let's go ahead and take a look at Revelation 3. And this is Jesus telling John what to write down. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A lot of reading. A lot we got to kind of take a look at and break down a little bit. But I told you earlier that each of the seven churches received some sort of attaboy, some sort of, you're doing this good. Uh, but I want you to notice that this church did not receive any of them. He pretty much just rebukes them the entire time. He tells them, hey, you guys need some help. You guys are having some trouble. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if that means anything. I'm not going to read more into it uh, if there's nothing more to read into. But does that mean that the corrupt or the dead churches are better than the lukewarm? I don't know. But... What this should do is it should bring us to attention and put us on our toes. That something is going on here, and we got to really pay attention and focus in on what Jesus is trying to say. And the most prominent part of this verse, and many of you have likely heard this at some point, is he talks about how you're neither hot nor cold. You're just, what? You're, I'm going to spit you out. What am I supposed to do with you? You're no good. You're lukewarm. And though Jesus is speaking to a specific church here at a specific point in time, I believe that there is a timeless principle that we can apply to our lives here right now. And it's this. Lukewarm Christianity is no good. 
Well, duh, Matt. Like, clearly, that's what he's saying. Like, he's saying he's going to spit you out if you're lukewarm. But this is so important that we understand this and that we grasp this. Lukewarm Christianity is no good because there's no true passion. There's no joy for the things of God here. Church has just become a habit. It's just something you do when you're not too busy. Maybe you serve, but you do so out of obligation and nothing more. Maybe uh, if you have the finances, you might give some in the, in the tithe. You might do that if you have enough money left over. Maybe you're out at work and you get teed up perfectly to invite someone to church and tell them about Jesus. But instead, you go out of your way to change the subject. And you pretend like you didn't just hear that. I could go on and on and on. I don't know what it is for you, but that's lukewarm Christianity. It's not doing us any good. And you need to understand this. And the better translation for that, where he says, I'll spit you out, is actually in the NKJV. And it says, I'll vomit you out. He's not just, he's not just going, gross. He's going, oh, that's disgusting. That is awful. It disgusts him. He vomits out lukewarm Christianity. He's not into that. That's not what it's about. But okay, Matt. Aren't the lukewarm still Christians? Surely that's not nothing, right? Like, this can't be that big a deal, right? Well, here's the problem with lukewarm Christianity. Is that you think that you've got it going on. You think that things are going good, that they're going right, and you believe that you're good with God. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And here's the thing. There is no gray area that you can live in in this. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? Like, those are all good things, right? Like, those are the things you want to be doing. That's what you want to hear at a church. TJ, a minute ago, he just talked about some of the things going on in our church, that people are getting saved, people are getting healed, and those are good things, right? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just because it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, looks like a duck, doesn't make it a duck. Sometimes it's a goose. It is so destructive what this lukewarmness can do to us. It fools us. It is the deception of Satan that it lulls us into thinking it's all good. You know, I'm just comfortable. I'm just doing my thing. But Jesus, and you can, and Jesus even says here, you can even do things in his name. You can cast out demons. I don't know about you. I've personally never cast out a demon. That sounds awesome. I would love to do that. But there are people who have done that who don't really know him. And Jesus says he's going to cast them out. He's going to vomit them out. And Satan has fooled the modern church culture with this lie that I can live life how I want to live. And if I show my face every once in a while in a church, 
It makes my conscience a little lighter. And things are all good. And me and God are good. We need to take a deep look at ourselves and ask, what kind of water am I? And then rewire our thinking so we can become the blemishless, holy bride of Christ that Jesus is waiting for. Because a lot of believers think that what they have is enough, when in reality, they're going to get vomited out. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually break down that big long passage from Revelation 3 that we just read. And um, so we can look a little bit closer and understand it a little bit better. And hopefully, hopefully, we can get a better understanding of what we've got going on and we can even fix it if we need to. All right? And I have three points that's how we're going to break it down to three different sections. And don't get too caught up on the point names. You know, that's just to help break it up, all right? So let's get into it. So point number one is what you think you've got is useless. What you think you've got is useless. So what am I talking about? That what you think you've got is in reference to lukewarm faith. If you think you've got faith and it's lukewarm and it turns out that it's lukewarm... It's useless. Sorry to break the news to you. It's no good. Let's reread that first little bit of Revelation 3, uh, verses 14 through 16. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit, better word is vomit, you out of my mouth. Very graphic imagery, very gross, Jesus. Like I did not need that image in my head, that you're vomiting me out. But reading this passage, you need to understand that uh, the city of Laodicea did not have its own water supply. So they didn't have any mountains to get cold water coming into the city. They didn't have any hot springs to get hot water coming into the city. So they had to rely on aqueducts to get their water. And because of this, Laodicea had infamously lukewarm water by the time it reached its people. And there are several historical records that back this up. People writing and complaining, I went to Laodicea for a visit. The water was the worst thing ever. I hated that. So I don't know if you've ever gone to a hotel in a different town and the water just just tastes different. It's kind of gross. Yeah, it's kind of like this, except the water doesn't get hot, doesn't get cold. It's just meh. It's just in the middle somewhere. It's just a little bit lukewarm. It's kind of gross. And Jesus is using an example here that they can understand in this passage. And that's where this whole thing about lukewarm water comes from. And I even want to illustrate it a little further for all my visual people in here. Um, how significant this is. So I've got some water here. I've got my cold water here, and I've kept it nice and cold. And cold water is like the best thing, right? Like you go out for a run, you're preaching like me right now, and my mouth's getting a little dry, so... Ah, that's good. Cold water is nice. It has a use for me. Now, I like that. Now, you also got hot water. You know, you can pour it into a mug. I don't know what you like to do with it. Maybe you can make a cup of coffee. Um, 
Do we have anyone who likes drinking tea in here? Do we have any tea drinkers? All right, we got a few. Um, so I don't know much about tea. I don't like tea, really. Uh, so I've got two. I've got vanilla chai black tea and cinnamon stick black tea. Which one's better? Like, can anyone help me out? This one? This one? Okay. Chai? Chai. I heard more chais. All right, so we'll do the uh, vanilla chai black tea, you know, and what's nice about hot water is you can do lots of things. You can take a shower with it, and, you know, it's the most relaxing thing, Um, and you can make tea with it, and so I think I'm doing it right. I won't make tea. Like, you do this right first, and then you kind of wrap it around the handle and make sure it's good, and you let it sit, right? Like, I'm right on that, right? Okay, good. Thank you. So you can even make a nice tea. I don't really like tea, but, oh, that's hot. That's really hot. So uh, hot water has its purpose. Now, then we get our lukewarm water. This has been sitting in my car. This water is nasty. In fact, uh, Blake, can you touch it for me? Like, yeah, it's gross. It's like lukewarm. It's It's like this nasty, it's not hot enough to make a tea, but it's warm. Like, it's been in my car. And Jesus, he goes... That's nasty. I don't want to drink that. That's disgusting. And I spat because I didn't want to vomit. And because, and because we don't have any hot-watered Christians sitting in the front row. What's that about? Why don't anyone else do it? I'm just kidding. That doesn't make you not lukewarm. That's not the thing. But lukewarm water is nasty. It has no use. It is completely and utterly useless to us. If I've got hot water, I've got cold water, I'm going to go with the hot water for tea, for showers. I'm going to go with the cold water after a, refreshing, uh, after a run. I need to get refreshed. But lukewarm water is just trash. It's disgusting. I don't want any of this. This can, you know, if I don't put this in the fridge to get it refrigerated, I'm just going to throw it in the trash because this is gross. And it's been sitting in the car. It's probably all nasty from the plastic. I don't know. Uh, but it's a gross image, but Jesus is that serious about it. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want you in his, he doesn't, want that lukewarm water in his mouth. It disgusts him. He vomits it out. And too many believers have become comfortable with this comfortable Christianity, this nice lukewarm thing. You know, it's I go to church whenever it's convenient for me. I tithe when I've got a little extra left over. I show up, sit, watch, go home, and I never get involved. Can I tell you, that's shallow faith. That's playing church, whether you do it out of habit or because it eases your conscience, that's lukewarm. And it's powerless. We sang that song a minute ago, that's the power of your name. Well, this is powerless. There is nothing to this. I would be so bold to even say it's useless. Many believe that the way they live out their faith is just, eh, it's good enough. And that's what they settle for. Good enough is not any good. In fact, good enough is not even a half measure of how it should be. In fact, uh, I love this kind of visual Jesus gives, or this, how this, excuse me. I like this verse that we're about to read because it illustrates how God requires our total commitment to him. And it comes from Exodus 34, 14. And it says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, whose name is jealous, whose name is jealous. He names himself jealous here, like the word jealous, capital J jealous. Do you get it? 
is a jealous God. It says his name is jealous. In a dating relationship, we call that a red flag. If someone shows up and tells you, hi, my name's Jimmy, but you can call me jealous, run. But this is not that kind of jealousy we're talking about. We're talking about a godly jealousy, not a human one. It is righteous and it is pure and he wants all of us. He wants our complete and total commitment, not just a little bit. He wants your whole hearts. He doesn't want our good enough or eh, that'll do. That's not what he wants. He wants our all. He doesn't want us to be distracted by whatever overrides our time with him. He is an all-in sort of God. And he doesn't operate in this gray middle ground like we do, in this lukewarm place that we do. He is total. He wants our totality. He wants all of us. Your lukewarm faith isn't doing you any favors. When life gets hard and you panic and maybe eventually you decide to come to church and things get better and then you drift away and then you rinse and repeat and do it all over again, that's not what he's looking for. He is looking for commitment. When the storm comes, you don't have a firm foundation to weather it if you're just lukewarm. You need something more than that. You need a faith that's going to weather the storm. When you come to church, you need the kind of faith where you're excited to worship the Lord and hear his word. You even want to serve and do more for the kingdom. There will be times where, will there be times where you emotionally don't feel that way? Like your emotions aren't saying that? Yeah, there will be. I can tell you, I've been in church since the day I was born. I grew up in church. And I can tell you that there have been many dry spells for me where I didn't feel it. Where I didn't get the tinglys and the goosebumps. You know, I wish it were always like that, where I always felt all emotional. I wanted to cry, but that's just not how it always is. It's not always going to be that way. But faith... Your faith and your passion for the church, for the things of God, should not be predicated by emotion. That is not the deciding factor on whether you're committed and all in. We do it because it's a part of who we are as the church. It comes from discipleship and discipline. And this is where you get that. You need to consistently be coming to church. You need to be in fellowship where others can sharpen and encourage you. You need to be spending time, quiet time with the Lord, where it's just you and him, where you can worship, read his word, pray. Unlike the church in Laodicea, we need to be a church that isn't lukewarm, that isn't useless but one full of people who are committed to meeting and serving together. All right, that was the easy point. That was point number one. Point number two is a little bit more difficult. And point number two is this. What you think you've got is not what you need. What you think you've got is not what you need. If you think you've got faith and it turns out it's lukewarm, then you don't have what you need. 
So we're going to read the next part of Revelation 3, which is verse 17, and he says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I'm not calling anyone that, by the way. <laughs> I hope you're not naked right now. <laughs> Otherwise, we got some security guys who will escort you in the back and help you out. Uh, but the Laodicean church thought themselves to be well off. Clearly, they said, I'm rich. I don't need anything. In fact, historical records show that Laodicea was a wealthy banking center in its time. It was flourishing. They had gladiator games. They had a theater. They had plenty of revenue. And this, this was basically the South Lake of their region. South Lake, if you've been there, you know they're well off. Like, they got some nice houses and nice cars up there. Like, I would love to be able to afford to live in South Lake. But this was kind of the same deal. They were so wealthy that when an earthquake destroyed the region, they refused funds from the emperor to rebuild. Man, that's crazy. They just went, mm, no, no thanks. We'll handle it, you know. Uh, we, we, like, we got to rebuild everything. Earthquake just happened. It's all good. We'll take care of it ourselves. Who does that? They were well off. This church likely had some deep pockets, if this is what this city was like. And they probably had an attitude about it. Clearly, Jesus refer references the fact that they call themselves, they say, I am rich. How often do we feel that way? I've got what I need. Leave me alone. It's that kind of American independence that we kind of have. It's, it's an attitude we have that I can take care of it on my own. I don't need anyone to help me out. Have you, ever been, have you ever been asked how you're doing and you just say, I'm good. No thought, doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes. Have you ever been the one asking, how are you doing? And you don't even pay attention to what they say. I do that a lot. I'm so sorry if I do that to you ever. I'm, I'm really bad at listening sometimes, uh, but I try my best. Uh, but, you know, it's that idea, I'm good. Don't worry about it. I've got everything under control. I don't need anything. Too many Christians believe that they've got what they need already. You know, it, they go, I got what I need. I don't need anyone else. Don't worry about it. It's just between me and the Lord. Don't even get into it. The Laodicean church claimed that they have all that they need when actually they were wretched, pitiful, poor. These are the rich people we're talking about. Poor, blind, and naked. We get so puffed up with this attitude that I've got what I need when in reality we don't and we're coasting at best. We, uh, there's all sorts of things people need, think that they need in the church that and we'll get to it. But people think, they'll say things like, we need to make it to church just often enough that we don't feel bad about when we don't go. We need to be somewhere that we're comfortable and we don't feel challenged. May not say in those words, but a lot of people sure do act like it. We need to go to a church that caters to our needs. This church, it doesn't have what we want here. Or we need to go to multiple churches so that we can buffet style this thing. You know, they got great worship over here. The preaching's real good over here. The outreach is real nice over here. And it really makes them feel like I'm doing something in the community. What you need is to be consistent 
at a church with a family of believers and be consistent in your walk with the Lord. There, it is so much more powerful to know and be known at a church where you're all in on the vision and people love you and you have a family of believers to do life with. It is game changing where you have fellowship and you have community. You don't like the preaching style? Get over it. There are much worse things to listen to. Uh, you, don't, you don't like that you didn't get asked to serve the way that you wanted to be serving in the church? Find another way to serve. You think that the flashing lights in the, during kids' worship and youth worship uh, is unspiritual? Well, you're not in there. And your kids are engaged and love church in a way that they never have before. We get so caught up in our needs and what we think things should be like that we forget that that's not the point. That is not the point. We don't go to church to consume. We are the church and we as a church family serve and meet the needs of others and one another. What we need is not what we think we need. We need to serve others in a consistent manner. We need to get around other believers who will help keep our flame lit. That's how we grow our faith. That's how we keep from becoming lukewarm. I'm tired of hearing people say that, oh, this church doesn't really have what we want or I don't really feel like, you know, I, I know anyone here or anyone knows me. Well, do you serve? Are you involved? Do you make an effort to get to know others? Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I was going to say something I was going to regret. I'm not going to say it. Let's just move on to point number three. That one was medium difficulty. This is the hard one now that we're going to do. And this is our last point. And it's that what you think you've got is polluted. What you think you've got is polluted. If you think you've got faith and it turns out it's lukewarm, then it's polluted. Let's read verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now I'm going to kind of break it down real quick. Gold being refined in fire is so that the impurities are being removed from the gold. White clothes represents purity, holiness, to be set apart. Salve for your eyes is a medical ointment or oil for the eyes. Basically he's saying you need some eye drops because you're not seeing things right. Clearly Jesus isn't saying that they literally need these things. The Laodicean church has become polluted. They've become impure. They are Christians in name alone and unable to see that the way they are living is contrary to how the Lord wants them to live. A lukewarm church is one that plays pretend church and then when they leave, they live just like the world. Often, it's not even overtly obvious. You know, I'd imagine most of you guys, you don't go out and intentionally cut people off when you're driving and uh, flip the bird to them and key your neighbor's car or whatever else bad people do. I don't really know what bad people do. Uh, 
but at least I hope you don't do that. Um, but it's often in how we spend our time that we expose our lukewarmness. It's how we choose to crack, uh, to crack open a cold one for the football game with the boys instead of going to church. It's how we just decide to watch one more episode instead of spending time with the Lord like we know we should. It's how we convince ourselves that a baseball is a more important venture for our kids than Wednesday night youth group. It's how when there's family in town, we're suddenly unavailable to serve Sunday morning for one hour. Why is that a big deal? Because of what it communicates. It communicates that all of those things are more important than the things of the Lord. The boys you drink with during Sunday football, well, they know you're a Christian, but they also know that clearly church is not that big a deal. Football is more important than church. Your unbelieving spouse, they see that Netflix is a better use of your time than the Lord. You communicate to your kids that church is secondary when you choose to prioritize other things over it. And our visiting family coming in from out of town, they see that serving is just a fun hobby and not a necessity. Lukewarm faith, if you even want to call it that, is damaging because of what it communicates to the world. It's polluted. It's polluted. People may hear that you're a Christian, but by the way you live, would never know it. And see that it must not be that life-changing after all. And you know, and we're kind of wrapping up here. The sad part to me is this. And of course it is because I'm a kid's pastor. Is that it's most damaging to the kids, to your kids. When you choose other things over church, you've taught them that there are things more important than the Lord. You've created a lukewarm Christian before they can even really make their own decisions. I understand you want to give them experiences, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the greatest experience you can give your children is a lifelong walk with the Lord. Um, I love what, uh, so this past Sunday we were having a field day with the kids, Sunday night, um, and you know, we were playing kickball and all sorts of awesome things. And I was talking to one of our kids and I was asking him, hey, what's going on with life, man? You know, what have you been up to? He goes, oh, we lost our baseball tournament. And I went, oh, I'm sorry, man. What about your brother? And he goes, he lost his baseball tournament too. And I was like, oh, that stinks, man. So is the season over? And he's like, yeah, it is. And I went, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so disappointing. And this is what he tells me. And I love this so much. He goes, it's okay, Pastor Matt. Because this means we get to come to church more often. <laughs> it's so awesome, man. Oh, I get, sorry, I get a little choked up thinking about it. I just think it's so awesome. That is so beautiful. That is how it needs to be. Those parents, they did right. They're not raising a lukewarm kid. Being lukewarm is so destructive. God wants a church and a people who are fully committed to him.
finishes uh, this letter to the Laodiceans by saying, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, and he wraps up this entire section about the seven churches here. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't know who this message is for today. Maybe it's only for one person. Maybe they're watching online. They're not even here. And then the other 99% don't care. But if it was for you, know that it's not a spanking for cruelty's sake, but it is discipline out of love. You need to go and apply the change that you need to make. Jesus wants a spotless, holy, without blemish bride. That is what the church needs to be. But know that if you've heard this and you know it's you, that when it comes time and Jesus vomits you out, don't say you weren't warned. So what's it going to be? Lukewarm living? Are you okay with Jesus vomiting you out? Or is it time to really commit and even renew your relationship with the Lord and his church? Are there some changes you need to make in how you've been approaching church? Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Let him do what he needs to do. Let's not be like the lukewarm church. Let's be fully committed to the one who fully committed to us. I'm gonna pray real quick to wrap up and Pastor Mark is gonna take back over. But really think about this. Father, we just thank you for this time together. We just thank you that we get to come here to your house and worship you and that you would just speak to us in such mighty and personal ways, Lord. I pray that you would help us not to be like the lukewarm church, but you would just stir a passion in our hearts for you, Lord, and that you would help us to truly be a bride committed to you and you alone. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.